Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Thirsting for Truth Live. I am Marcus Guevara and this is Alicia Franco. Alicia, hello. say hello. Hi. This is I I was I just realized I really dressed down today and you look super spiffy. Oh, spiff. I spiffed it up. Uh spiffed it up. Yeah. I just haven't changed actually out of work clothes is what it is. So I didn't actually spiff it up. I just left it. I just stayed <laughs> you spiff. Didn't, you didn't unspiff. I didn't unspiff today. That's right. Um, so, eight o'clock. We started on time today. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> super excited. Uh, super excited. This is uh, this is a first for us. I think maybe maybe a second. Maybe, maybe but uh, I can t definitely say it's not uh, it's not all that common. Uh, but anyway, hey, who knows? Maybe maybe this is a new thing. Maybe this is like a whole like hey. Let's do it when we say we're going to do it, and let's, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, how was your two-week uh, sabbatical? Uh, sabbatical? Yeah. How was so, your time off? Uh, well, I mean, we had a great show two weeks ago, and then last week I know you had, looks like you had the whole family on. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a that was a beautiful disaster. <laughs> like a train, um, train wreck that you couldn't stop watching. But it was also kind of cute train wreck, you know. It was funny. It was funny. Um, I watched sister... it afterwards, and oh, sorry, you it was first. Funny. It was funny. Yeah, it was, I'd say it was cute. Oh, I was gonna say I watched it afterwards, and I didn't realize so that uh, when uh, I was doing the show, it was loud here. Like I couldn't think because they're like screaming and laughing, and it was super loud. It was super loud here, and then when I watched it or listened to it, you know, on like the the replay. You couldn't really hear anything, so I was like, "Oh man, I I guess I." Well, because I guess because they were kind of away from the microphone. Yeah, but I thought it was as I wasn't even sure people could hear me uh, properly. So, but anyway, your sister, you're saying. Oh, I was just gonna say that I was out last week. I know I told you this, but for our listeners, it looks like we don't have any just yet. But anyway, uh, we had one dropped off. They they were like, "What the heck is this?" I was out last week. My sister was getting confirmed, so that was that was pretty exciting. Ah, well, maybe that will be one of the things we can uh, talk about. What is what is confirmation exactly? So today's topic is ask a Catholic anything. Um, you have two Catholics, actually, that you can ask. And I actually mean that sincerely, seriously. You can ask anything. Um, I mean, if you're trying to be offensive, then, you know, I'll still try to answer the question if... Um, uh, if I can, if it's an actual question that I can answer. Um, but even if you're trying not to be offensive and you're afraid that it might come out as offensive, don't worry about it. If you have an honest question in your heart, ask it. You know, I'm, I'm not a person who is easily offended um, for one thing. And secondly, I don't think any question is really off limits uh, as long as <laughs> it's a, as long as it's a, a true, uh, you know, question, something that you, you really are either wondering or something that you think is is just completely wrong, and you're looking for a, a Catholic perspective. As always, this isn't a show that's really uh, meant to be a deep um, theology or scripture study. This is a conversation amongst friends. Hopefully, something that if you had a good friend who was Catholic, you know, when you're talking to them, um, you know, this is the kind of conversation you might hope to have, where we're going to talk from a little bit from experience, um, just kind of try to you know relay some of the the logic and um, and try to make sense of things, not really try to <laughs> drive down, you know, the issue through debate and 
you know, mountains of, of scholarly evidence and that kind of thing. Uh, my only goal here is to make some sense of things and help you understand it maybe a little bit better than you did before. So, Alicia, any comments before we go on to the first question? I said, let's go for it. Let's get started. That's actually a comment. So, good job. There it is. <laughs> so, the first question is, do Catholics worship Mary and the saints? And that is something that I've gotten. Uh, it's a question I've received. I like to say gotten. Dan corrects me and says, don't say gotten. But you know what? That's who I am. So um, I've gotten that question. It's a question I've gotten many times over my Catholic lifetime. Um, so about like 10 years, 11 years now, really. I grew up Catholic, but the time that I actually, you know, told people I was Catholic and, and was proud of it and um, and then received questions about it. So I'm assuming that you've had this uh, time or two in your lifetime? In some shape or form, yes. Yeah. I, I've what other shapes and forms might you have it? Oh, I thought you have meant received have I received it. this question. Yeah, I thought that that's was, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did say I, that. I've gotten, you know, what is the significance of Mary? Because, I mean, a lot of other churches that you go to, she's just not... Maybe if they don't necessarily know that we are sending our petitions to her or the saints, if they see, hi, Brittany, <laughs> if they see just even any kind of art in the church um, that's more prevalent than they would have in their church, it's, you know, why is that there kind of thing. So it could be something as simple as that, but it's more yep, complex. That is actually another shape of the question. I, I grant you that. I wasn't sure what, what you were going to say. Yeah. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Hi, Brittany. You always have, like, fans that show up. Yeah, fans. Support yeah. You. I don't know. Brittany, I don't know if you're still watching, but a couple of weeks ago, Sarah was very vocal on here. It's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we're, this is becoming, quickly becoming the Alicia Franco show. <laughs> well, the Alicia Franco and Friends show. So, all right. Um, yeah. The, um, <clears throat> this is definitely a question I can understand. Uh, and I understand, I guess, the, the hesitancy to even want to uh, learn about it. Because for me, when I was first coming around, I always thought that that was kind of a weird, it was a weird thing that Catholics did, you know, that we have these icons, these, you know, pictures and statues and uh, images of Mary and the saints Inside the church, outside the church, hanging from the mirror of your car. Hey, Brittany, she said, uh, I saw, didn't know you did this all the time. All the time, Ashley, okay? Every week, all the time. For about an hour, sometimes it starts at eight, sometimes it doesn't. Anyway, um, so I always thought that it was weird that, you know, that <laughs> Catholics have all of these um, icons kind of just all over the place. And even more so that they've they venerate the icons that, they, you know, like sometimes they'll stand before a statue and bow their head and pray or, um, you know, or actually kind of bow like the top of their, their body um, or, you know, get like a, a rosary or um, like a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe or something and like, you know, clutch it or put it in their pocket and, and take it with them as kind of a, uh, again, assistance to their faith. And I always thought, well, what, how does that make sense if, if what Protestants say, you know, uh, that that's a form of worship, you know, then how is it that the Catholic Church continues to do this? And it and it's not really 
um, it, you know, it just continues to be a tradition when, uh, if it's a, it's a form of worship, well then, you know, obviously that's, that's the question I think is, is it worship or is it not? Um, because if it's not worship, then there shouldn't be an issue. Cause that's really the only argument, you know, if it is worship, well then hands down, like I, you know, no Catholic can be able to, to argue why it's okay. <laughs> um, and so Catholics don't see it as worship. Protestants still may argue that, um, you know what, let me put your name right there. Cause obviously everybody knows your name already cause you got the fan base, uh, but they won't know me. So I have to put mine. Um, so the, uh, you know, Catholics will say that, well, it's not, um, we're not worshiping Mary. We're not worshiping the saints. And pro- <laughs> excuse me, Protestants might still um, insist that, well, no, yeah, you are. You know, maybe you don't think you are, or you don't intend to, but you are. Here's the way that I see it, um, and then I want your thoughts on it as well. But I see it as, um, you know, we 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 use a lot of things to assist us in our faith, um, a lot of icons, a lot of materials. Um, but we also rely on people to assist us in our faith. And so in the sense that we rely on people, you know, we ask people to pray for us, right? And if, uh, you know, we take the scripture that says Jesus is the only mediator between God and man uh, in the literal sense that, you know, there can be no other um, person who who steps in the middle, you know, to uh you know, whatever, plead on your or behalf or, or essentially to, to mediate, um, then we also shouldn't be doing that, right? A, a Protestants should never say, I'll pray for you. They should always say, no, you pray for yourself. I, I'm not a mediator. That's not my job. That's only, only Jesus has that job. Um, they should also say, you know, uh, not, <laughs> they should also not ask people to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Because again, what you're doing is you're, you're putting that person in the position to, uh, blaspheme you know to say like hey will you be my mediator will you go before god for me and pray for me will you ask god to help me to to give me graces you know on your behalf on your prayer and that's again it's the same thing that in either i don't know how you argue you know that those aren't forms of of mediation of getting in the middle between a person and god um but either it's okay or it's not okay. Either you go the full extent and use that scripture to get rid of all types of, of mediation, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the interpretation is is a bit wrong. So uh, I'll, I'll stop because I want I want you to anytime that you feel like you want to inject some some Alicia knowledge, everybody the 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 sure. crowd is yours and they want to hear your voice more than me. So. <laughs> Jump in at any well, point. I, I wanted, yeah, I want, no, I wanted you to say that because that was some good. You wanted me to say good, some good, that some I want you to Marcus jump in. Knowledge. I was really hoping want, you were going to. No, no, you're having some good Marcus knowledge before I put in the Alicia bit. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so that was good. I think we're actually talking about two different things here. Um, we're talking about the significance of icons and iconography, and also, um, praying to Mary and the saints. Um, Big words. Sorry. Yeah. So, so it's, I mean, really two different I'm things, just, but I want to talk, no, talk about the iconography first because um, I have gotten that comment, like I said earlier. Um, even if it's just, even it could be even a, a picture or some sort of art of Jesus, and um, it can be misinterpreted as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
um, idols, mm-hmm. worshiping idols. Um, so I want to address that first. And I've used this comparison before. So let me know what you think of this. Um, I'll get I'll get personal. We we get personal on the show. So uh, if you haven't heard my story before, haven't heard me talk or don't know me. Um, Marcus is on the edge of his seat. Did you see that? Go on, Alicia. <laughs> I'm listening. Um, so I grew up, um, my parents were divorced. So I grew up in, um, you know, more than one house, essentially. And I remember when I was very little, um, it's obviously very confusing as a kid where your parents don't live in the same house. And so I remember that I once found this picture of um, my parents when they were still married. And I used to keep it under my pillow. And um I don't remember how long I did this for, but I would take it out and I would look at it. And I mean, I must have been really little. I think I was like four or five and the things that you see on TV. Right. But I was like, you you know, God, maybe one day like they'll be back together. And I didn't understand. And so I would kiss it and I would do little things. I would like put it back in my pillow one day. Um, And uh, so in that same way, it's like if you're going to um, any kind of icon or even if you're going to maybe you've lost a loved one and you're going to their gravesite and you talk to them in that way. Um, it's the same kind of thing where that art aids you. And of course, my example is not necessarily impressionable upon, um, you know, the same point. I obviously grew up, but I realized that um, I, I understood life was the way that it was. And I, I don't know what happened to that picture. Um, but I wasn't necessarily worshipping the picture. I was worshipping an idea. Um, and so that's the same thing that's that's going on with the icons and in the case of Mary and the Saints, um, where we don't have, I'm getting a little tangential here, um, where we don't have the actual physical represent- representation of Christ in the church with us, meaning the Eucharist, um, there we are actually worshiping Christ, whereas we don't have Mary with us um, to talk to, um, to be a mediator for us. We don't have the saints um, physically present with us um, so when we have that iconography present, um, that kind of aids us, like you said. Um, but also, I should say, um, I want to hear what your Marcus, I know that some theologians are kind of iffy about using the words praying to Mary, praying to the saints, because they say you're not necessarily praying to them, but asking for them to pray for you. Um, in the same way that you would ask a friend to pray for you, you obviously want to ask somebody who you know will pray for you. Um, if you're talking to somebody who maybe doesn't know God or doesn't have a strong faith, um, I feel like it would be more in your interest to ask somebody who not only loves you, but also, you know, is going to actually, um, pray for you when they say that they're going to. So, um, Mary, the saints, people who lived lives close to Christ. And in the case of Mary carried Christ in her um, you can't get much closer than that. So, um, who better to ask, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, what are, what are your comments on the praying to Mary? Um, so first I, I think you, well, you made a great example about how, um, humans, <laughs> this is something that I alluded to earlier that humans use images to, you know, assist them to, uh, put their mind and their emotions in in, an, in a different place. Um, and, you know, when we look at a photo of a lost loved one, or in your case, you're looking at a photo of, of your family, um, which 
it signified a, a different time, a better time, or, or, you know, something that you desired. It helped you to put a picture to something that you had in your heart. And uh, it just, it makes it a more powerful experience for you, which, which assists you, you know, no different than in a relationship, the feelings of attraction assist you to uh, pursue another person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they're, there, there's something that, uh, in it, in and of itself, is not really uh, the focus. You know what I mean? Like, when in a relationship, when you're attracted to another person, the attraction, if that becomes overemphasized, then obviously that can become, that can become dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. But if the attraction is leveraged for the sake of, you know, pursuing the person, um, well, that's that's actually kind of necessary right i mean it's it, we we need things we need assistance sometimes to help us to learn how to get from point a to point b and which is no i mean that's the same reason why uh we we listen to priests and pastors preach from the pulpit uh to help us learn how to get from point a to point b they assist us you know they might read the scripture they might um you know kind of demonstrate through scripture some really powerful imagery um and the more powerful they speak sometimes you know like it two people can kind of say the same thing um one of them says it in the in a somewhat dull way the other one says it like with fire and passion and that can get us going and it can actually help us to you know again get to that point where we're like ready and willing to open our hearts and accept what god's word is trying to to get to us right um so I don't see images any different, you know, if, if they're utilized in that sense. And most of the time they are, I don't know. I don't know any person who actually worships the, the marble and the stone that they're looking at. You know what I mean? Um, hey, Latrell from Lubbock. Uh, Lubbock is awesome. Lubbock, Texas. Shout out to all my people there in Lubbock. They're, uh, I got some fans too, Alicia. Okay. See, it's <laughs> oh, not just, Lat- we should ask Latrell if she has a question. Yes. So if you have a question uh, that I know you're, you're Catholic Latrell, but if you have something that you've been asked before or something that, you know, is just a common question that you think other people can benefit from, then please let us know. Um, but anyway, going back to what I was saying, I don't think that I don't know anyone, nor have I ever known anyone who actually takes the image and believes that the image itself is the object of their um, attention. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that an image can be extremely beautiful. And the more that you, you know, sort of look at the image, it, it can help you to, again, to elevate your your mind and your heart to contemplating the beauty of, of God and um, some imagery where Mary's holding a little baby Jesus will help you to contemplate the fact that Jesus was actually a little baby that Mary used to hold and so on and so forth. And uh, there you go. What are you pulling from? What is it? You got a little uh, icon there yeah. behind you. Yeah, I was just going to say this is a great example. Um, I don't know if you can see this on your camera. Um, I have mm-hmm. a little um, merciful image of Jesus. It's kind of dark. Divine mercy, um, yeah. Yeah, but one that I got from, actually from Poland, um, World Youth Day. Shout out to all my World Youth Day people. Um, this was an image that Jesus actually gave us through St. Faustina. So um, images are a good, holy thing, and that's a really good example of one. Right. And, and that, that particular image is, is meant to help to the, um, 
I know you didn't hear that, but I'll, I'll, so I'll repeat it for you. So that particular image is meant to, you know, help the uh, person who's viewing it to concentrate specifically on the mercy of God. Again, so there, those things have a specific purpose. Um, and I, I see that no different than when somebody has an image of their child, you know, and they look at a picture in their phone and they look at it or they, <laughs> they watch a video and that, that helps them to remember something. It helps them to, you know, to, if you look at a, a picture of your child, that's not really your child that you're looking at. You know, it's, it's a collection of lights and, you know, different colors, different frequencies that are, um, you know, representing the image of your child. It's not, it's not alive. It's not a person. Everybody knows this. People recognize this and nobody would say like, Oh, you think that's your kid? Like, no, I never thought that was my kid. I was just looking at a picture of my kid and it reminds me of my kid who I love. And when I look at this, it makes me feel super happy and it makes me remember that, wow, you know, I'm so blessed. And again, it it assists me. We could never take pictures and, you know, I guess that's okay. So you can make the argument that you don't need pictures, but um, I don't think you can make the argument that having pictures of your children is a form of of worship because if you look at them then what you're doing is you're giving to the picture you know to your phone what is only due to uh your actual child right we we see this the same kind of idea with uh, god we don't believe that you know the the marble itself is god and so you're not worshiping god when you see somebody stand before a statue and then they bow their head and they start praying again this the statue is something that reminds you of of something to meditate on and so when you go to a statue of mary you you think okay well you know i'm gonna bow my head and i'm gonna i'm gonna say a prayer to mary you see a statue of, of jesus like a crucifix then you look at that and you think sometimes if you're if you're going through some hard times and you or even if you're not it's a great reminder that jesus went through some great difficulty you know that jesus was tortured and died and that's a, a very significant thing to meditate on and when you bow your head and you say thank you lord for what you've done for me um please help me to you know to to um, remain faithful throughout my trials just as you did please help me to um, take on sacrifice and suffering you know for the good of others just like you did help me to to be like you those are the things that are going on and you know if, if you're catholic and that's that's you know not what you're doing then this will help you to leverage those images to assist you in your faith. If you're Protestant and you see somebody else doing that, then, you know, I don't think it's, it's, uh, you, you can't assume that this person, um, believes that, you know, they're actually, God is right in front of them in the, in a statue that, um, the statue is actually the object of their worship because, 99.99% of the time, that's probably not true. If you happen to catch the one person who is doing that, um, you know, you're you're going to actually be in a more rare position than any Catholic I've ever met. Um, and I've met a lot of them. So, but anyway, uh, that's the, the first thing. The, the second thing is you were talking about, uh, what was the question that you posed about? Um, Oh, some theologians have an issue oh, with praying, praying to Mary. Praying okay. To Mary or praying to the saints. So here's how I see that. I actually wrote an article called Seven uh, Reasons Catholic Catholics Pray to Saints. And one of the arguments I made is that uh, a lot of reason people confuse this and, and believe that Catholics are worshiping Mary and the saints is because when people 
pray to Mary or people pray to the saints, they believe, hey, you, you know, you shouldn't be praying to anybody except for God. Here's my argument. Prayer and worship, if they were the same thing, I would agree with you. But prayer and worship are not always the same thing. Prayer can be worship, but prayer can also be spiritual communication that is not worship. So, for example, um, God, let, help me win the lottery is not worship, but that's a prayer. God, please don't let me get in trouble. You know, God, please take this pain away from me. Um, it's not worship, but it's a prayer. God, I hate you. God, how did you let this happen to me? Uh, those are prayer. There's certainly not worship. You know what I mean? So there, there are many instances of when we pray to God and we are not worshiping. We are not what worship means is to, to give God what is only God's, right? To give to God what is due to God. And there are many times that we are praying, we are communicating, and we are not, you know, giving the the, the due respect to God. We're not treating God as God and um, giving him our whole trust and, 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 you know, our whole lives and allowing him to be the author of our lives and so on and so forth. That <laughs> is not always, um, it, it, when people are praying, they're not always worshiping. When people are praying to Mary and the saints, they're certainly not worshiping because they're not trying to give to them what is only God's. They're they're only speaking to them. If it's spiritual communication, um, then you know this is a, the way that we continue to connect with people after death. So if I can talk to you here over a microphone, so my voice is you know hitting this little uh, piece of metal that's vibrating at a particular frequency, going through this cable and then goes out and goes from here 1600 miles all the way to your place and comes out in your speakers then you know who's to say that uh god can't deliver our communication to our family members right i mean it, it's it's kind of a sad and gloomy idea that when people die and they die in you know the the grace of god um go to heaven that God shuts them out from us. Nope, sorry, you're over here and you guys are over there. You do your own thing and you figure it out, right? Like that we, God allows us to communicate in some really amazing ways. And I don't believe that um, he cuts off our communication with, you know, our, our loved ones. We the Scripture says that we are the body of Christ um, and those who are, you know, die, but uh, go to heaven are alive in Christ. They're more alive than we are now, and we're all part of the body of Christ, those who are in heaven and those who are on earth. So, uh, again, why why do we believe that, where does this notion come from that, um, you know, those of, our, those of us who are the part of the body of Christ, who are family members, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are cut off from us, you know, that we can't speak to them. When, when people pray to Mary and to the saints, they are asking for, help they're asking for intercession you know um please help me please pray for me you know those are those are things um that any good christian can and should do with another christian you know the only difference is that as catholics we believe that's something that you can do with the other the christians that are on facebook you know the ones that are inside in in the room with you that are you're face to face with and also the ones who um lived a victorious life who stayed faithful and committed to God and are in heaven and spending time with God who are close to him. 
um, and who you're asking to advocate for you. So I don't have any issue with saying that you pray to saints because the way I uh, see it is, you know, that's like saying I talk to. It's prayer is the the form of talking to uh, when you know you um, you're on earth and they're not. You know what I mean? So um, prayer, spiritual communication. So therefore, um, it, it's if it's not always worship, then you can't, again, you can't assume that just because somebody's praying to Mary or the saints that they are um, also worshiping them. It's possible, I guess, right? But again, I've never met a Catholic who, who believes that or who actually does that. Um, that doesn't mean that people can't misuse it, you know, just the way they do in, in their normal relationships, you know, where they, they try to go around God for things. Um, but you can do that on earth with, you know, other people as well. You can be married to somebody, uh, be doing something that you know to be wrong. You you know, both of you, you know it. Um, and then you say, well, you know, as long as, as we love each other, I, you know, then it doesn't matter kind of thing. Well, that's, that's a way of, you know, circumventing God's authority and just saying, well, me and you will work it out together. Yeah, sure. People can do that with Mary and the Saints. And I, um, I certainly have seen people who, um, maybe even kind of unwittingly uh, do things that, that are not kosher. Um, but for the most part, the, the actual, you know, Catholic teaching and the practice itself in, in good faith, um, there's nothing wrong with, right? So I have another comment on that, unless you had something that you wanted to jump in. No, no, go ahead. Um, so the other part of that is, uh, you know, that some people might point out things like, you know, the Hail Holy Queen, which says, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Um, so you can say, okay, fine. I'd have no problem with you talking to Mary and just saying, Mary, can you please pray for me? Uh, you know, that doesn't seem bad. But when you say things like, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope, uh, you know, then obviously that's worship, right? Because then you're only, you're given to her only what's, you should be God's, you know, to say that um, you are my life and you are my hope. Uh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, well, these are the things that I used to think and I used to wonder myself because then I would be like, okay, I can get past the whole, you know, praying to them and asking, asking for them to pray for you. But then when you say that, that's not asking for prayer at all, right? Uh, that's actually showing great affection. And here's what I would say to that. When we love somebody, when we really, really love somebody, when we're like overtaken by love for somebody else, we start to do what I call uh, speaking the language of love. Our, our language becomes elevated towards heaven and we start saying crazy things, right? In the past, I have told Diane, you are my life. You're my everything. You're my life. You know, you mean everything to me. There's nobody who's more important to you. You know, I will, I will love you forever. I'm yours forever. I am all yours, totally yours. You know, I've told her very, very romantic things, you know, where I, I speak of like, God, there's no, you know, you're the most beautiful thing on earth. I have told her things, you know, so crazy like that. Um, and never once did I ever feel like I was, um, you know, being disrespectful to God or did she like, come back and say like, whoa, whoa, you know, I'm not God because I, I know she's not God. I wasn't trying to treat her like God, um, but I couldn't help myself in, you know, going so over the top and, um, and speaking this language of love for her because my heart was like exploding 
with love. You know, I wanted the good for her. I wanted to express affection to her. Um, and this is part of the design. This is part of the design in the theology of the body. You know, we talk about how uh, man and woman were created in the image of God. And so the sexual relationship between the two, when a man loves a woman and a woman loves a man and they, and they just, you know, powerfully love each other and marriage, uh, you know, nine months after their uh, consummation of a marriage, they potentially another person enters into that relationship. And just like the Trinity, where we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, three who the Father and Son are, are bound by this bond of love. The man and the woman are bound by this, you know, child, this, this embodiment of their love. And scripture in Genesis uh, tells us that, you know, this is that God, uh, that I'm sorry, that uh, man and woman were created in the image of God. And it says it, it says it three times to make sure that you didn't miss it. Okay. It says, God created mankind in, in their image. In the image of God, he created them. And then it says male and female, he created them. So three times over, it uh, reiterates this idea, you know, and then essentially coming to the, you know, the like right out with it and saying male and female, he created them in the image of God. So that this image that we have, <clears throat> I'm sorry, this love that we have, this romantic love that that seeks to just give yourself totally to the other and to take the other totally to yourself and to um, bear fruit you know to the world to, to bring new life into the world through this romantic relationship is the very image of the trinitarian love the love of of god that is family right so if god said okay i want you to to be able to come to know me so i'm going to make you in my image and when you act in my image you know, uh, as you love each other, you'll learn, you know, who I am that, you know, we all say this God is love, right? So the more you understand that, the more you drive, you know, deeper into that type of relationship, the easier it will be for you to understand who I am, you know, because these are all the same concepts that we teach about God. You give yourself totally to God. God wants to give himself to you, you know, and when he gives his life to you, you, you bring, you bear forth new life to the world you bear witness to the world uh hold on one second yes <laughs> somebody just knocked on the door Guest on the show. it's okay you got you can come in uh dan or gabriel um but anyway so this this romantic love expresses a truth to the world uh, that's okay come on over hi this is a perfect you walked in at the perfect time hey guys so, timing. great timing hi gabriel you want to say hi come over here and say hi <laughs> say hi <laughs> Oh, I think he likes Alicia. Oh, he's, he's waving. <laughs> Everybody likes Alicia. Who's that? Hi. Yes, a new fan. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Alicia. He's stunned by your beauty. <laughs> he's, he's just pointing there. Hi. All right. All right, dude. Get out of here. He's going to bed. <laughs> night night. Love you, pal. Cute. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so again, you can see how um, when my love becomes so powerful that it overtakes me. My love for Diane becomes so powerful that it, it overtakes me. I am learning how to love. I'm learning how to sacrifice myself, to give myself to another. I'm learning how to bear new life to the world, um, to take on that responsibility. And I'm learning how to do that in my human relationship, which is preparing me to figure out how to do that, to elevate that, to do that in my you know romantic relationship with God. So the point is that 
when we learn this language of romance, when we fall in love with, with another, um, we don't have any fear of accidentally worshiping a person. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's real authentic love, then this is the design. This is what we're, we're supposed to do. You know, um, then, you know, the, I'm sure you've heard the parable, uh, when the, um, or not the parable, the, uh, scripture where the, uh, Pharisees try to trip up Jesus by saying, Hey, you know, this uh, man had seven wives and I'm sorry. Yes. And, uh, you know, they each died when they get to heaven, which one gets to have him as, as the husband. And Jesus is like, you don't know, you don't get it, man. You don't get it. There is no marriage. Like you're thinking in heaven, in heaven, everybody's married in heaven. Everybody shares the romantic, intimate, you know, and this, um, to make a disclaimer, we're not talking about like a sexual, you know, type of love. We're talking about the family kind of love, you know, the, I would die for you, love you, do anything for you. I want to know you. I want to do the good for you. I want to help you. Like, everybody shares in the intimacy of God and we are all close. We're all married because we're all going to spend the rest of our lives together, you know, loving each other and, and driving deeper into the love of God. Right? So if those in heaven who are part of the body of Christ are already engaging in that and we look at them and, and we are, you know, trying to love them. When we, when we look at Mary, this is, this is training. This is helping us to learn how to, how to elevate our love to another, you know, I have Diane um, and not everybody has, you know, somebody that uh, they're dating like that. Not everybody gets married. Um, but the point is that Diane, I have Diane as a symbol for what's to come, but we are supposed to project ourselves past the symbol, you know, towards what's to come in preparation for when we get there, when we enter. And so as we learn how to, um, love Mary, when we, when we talk to her like that, when we say, you are my life, my sweetness and my hope, we're not saying that you're the ultimate, you know, we're, we're speaking romantically and saying, I love you. I love you. I'm, this is the, the way that I love you is so powerful. I love you so much. And when we do that, I mean, if, if you loved my mother like that, you know, I, what you're telling me is I love you and respect you. Right. So if, one of my friends comes to my mother and, and DJ does this actually. DJ is very sweet with my, my family and my parents. But if one of my friends comes to my mother and buys her flowers and brings her flowers and she, you know, she lights her up and she says, wow, thank you so much. He makes her feel good and happy. That, you know what that does to me? That makes me feel like, man, that's, wow, you know, thanks. I, I have a sense of gratitude and, and love that that solidifies my friendship love for him even more. Cause he's take, he's respecting my mother and she's important to me. You know what I mean? Um, so first question. Yeah. So anyway, that's why I am not worried about, uh, when we pray to Mary through romantic prayer, um, the day that we I've say, never, I've never actually heard anybody ask that before, but I could see how it would, it would come up. So I'm glad yeah. you said that. So, okay. Uh, Hey, Uvalde's with us uh, again, uh, Adriana. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, all right, Liza, you want to read her question? I'll put it up here. All right. Hello, Marcus and Alicia. I often get told by a coworker, why is it that some things of our faith, for instance, why don't, why we, why we don't, don't worship Mary? Why isn't the truth? Explain the way I explain, explain it. So she's, 
yeah. so that other people know the truth rather than just letting people know the truth. I don't know how to answer why people don't know the truth. So I think what she's saying is um, if I can explain it this way, why don't people go to, to church on Sundays and hear it like this, right? In other words, mm. why does it seem like so many Catholics don't know their faith? Why does it seem like the Catholic Church doesn't do a good job of teaching people? Is that right, Liza? That sort of thing? Oh. We have another guest. <laughs> All right, John Paul, you want to come say hi? Hi. 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 Here. Can you hear can you me? Uh, I'm getting him a little. You want to say hi really quick? Everybody, this is John Paul. How old is John Paul now? John Paul, how old are you? Uh, five. I'm about five. to turn six. Oh my gosh, when's your birthday? birthday? Oh, March 12th. 25th? 12th. He just said it. 12th. <laughs> That's exciting. Say Looking hi. Good, hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go close the door. Good night, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. What? Just go... Close the door. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> I have Ritz crackers here. He's like, wait, why do you we're have gonna... those here? All right, so <laughs> go ahead. We're going to answer Liza's question. Yep. Um, and so her question is essentially, why don't people... Well, she followed up too, and she said, it's almost like she's saying, if she would have known the truth, then she might have stayed Catholic. So why didn't somebody tell me this before mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's true. I mean, you know, a lot of Catholics yeah. don't know their faith very well I mean, so yeah look at why you do you and I, we didn't know our faith when we were younger right um and um sure. so marcus i mean you you've told your story before but just to kind of touch on it a little bit more you know marcus part part of it was meeting diane but also going on an axe retreat and um just being pulled back into honestly truth um he was thirsting for truth and the same thing mm. kind of happened to me i just encountered um people who started um asking me questions and at first, my response was just competitiveness. I just wanted to give them the right answer. It wasn't necessarily um, wanting to find truth, but just wanting to be right kind of thing. And then it morphed into, wow, that's really cool. I want to know more kind of thing. Um, but to get to the point, um, I think that it's just honestly an attack by different evil things because the church is so good. I mean, I think, Liza, I, I've only seen your comments a few times on the show, but it, it sounds like maybe your story is kind of similar to Marcus's story, my story, where you just had a, a kind of an explosion of faith, maybe, maybe later in your life. Um, from what I remember her question asked last time, but in any, in any, any, anyway, um, I think that, um, for example, I went to Catholic school and, um, Catholic schools, or, you know, just because you go to a Catholic school doesn't mean they're always going to teach you everything you, you got to know. Um, unfortunately, I think they're getting a little bit more relaxed these days, and it depends on the school, right? Um, but also the people that you spend time with. Um, for example, I grew up in a Catholic family, but my family never really sat down and explained anything to me, um, even though we went to Mass every Sunday. So I think it's a kind of a collection of things. It's um, the people that you surround yourself with. Um, the environment that you're in, um, which is kind of the same thing. So overall, I guess just, um, I mean, look at look at a lot of these um, Protestant churches, our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, I think something that they're doing really well is um, a lot of churches will have like a Bible study or some kind of 
study that goes along with their Sunday service and then they'll have that service. Um, whereas um, it's not that we're not encouraged to learn about our faith, but it's not kind of built into the system like it is like theirs. Um, and we have programs that you can be involved in. We just don't always get involved in them. Um, so Marcus, I'll let you kind of. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I mean, I think that. you hit it, but like, in a in a, like one sentence, I would say the answer is because a lot of people don't try hard, right? A lot of people take it for yeah. granted. Uh, a lot of people like myself were born into the Catholic faith, were uh, baptized at a young age as a baby. And, um, and maybe we're even kind of put in some of the, you know, CCD courses or whatever. CCD is catechism, the uh, religious ed courses, and never really put effort into it. It's the same reason why you can go to 12 years of school and not learn any math, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't go do your homework, you don't get it. If you don't turn in your assignments, um, then you don't, you don't learn the material. Um, if you don't try hard, then you don't learn it. And uh, the reality is that this is true of pretty much anything. You know, the very, very few people take things to their limits to, you know, push them and, and work hard and, and learn or accomplish great things. And that's just the reality of the world. So what I would say in response to somebody who says, you know, why isn't the truth <clears throat> explained like that? You know, had I known I might have stayed Catholic, I would say, first of all, you don't, your, your opportunity is not over. It's not dead, right? Like you can still, uh, you can still come back to the faith if they were once Catholic, or you can still come to the faith if you've never been Catholic. Um, but secondly, I would say, well, you know, I mean, did you, if you left, why did you leave? Because you did a ton of research and you found, you know, it to be wanting and you found the truth elsewhere. Or is it because somebody told you and then you just left because that's what you thought, you know, because if that's the case, then I would say you didn't know, right? You, if you don't put the effort in there, then what are you going to say? Like, why didn't I win the championship? Well, did you practice? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, depending on how good of a friend they are, if it's a coworker, somebody you don't know, obviously you got to be more gentle, mm -hmm. um, you know, and say, well, I mean, you know, that's, these are hard things. And if you don't learn them and if you don't study them, then a lot of people just don't know because, because they don't put the time and effort into learning. Um, but if it's a good friend, somebody you feel comfortable enough say, telling this to just be like, well, what did you do about it? Right? Yeah, like, what did yeah. you do to help yourself? Did you That's find people? Because there's a lot of people out there who actually do know the faith pretty well. Um, did you search them out? You know, or did you just say like, you know, look in one door like up, oh, didn't find it. See you later. Diane always mm -hmm. complains that I, I don't. <clears throat> She's always like, you know, I don't know. I'll be like, where's my backpack? She's like, it's in the living room. And then I'll go and I'll come back. And like, it's not there. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> walks over and then, you know, picks up a pillow and then it's right there. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. And she's like, because you didn't look. You just <laughs> walked over there. You didn't like pick up any pillows. You didn't like move the, the blanket, you know? And uh, that's the same thing, right? If you don't really look, if you don't like pick up everything, uh, and in search of it well then you know you should you'll never find anything truly great if you're not willing to really put your your heart into that search so right um before we i end the show i want to make sure we get to this because this is something that i think you can really speak to divorce in the catholic church is a is a big issue and um one of the things that i know really this is a, is a really really hard topic and it probably can be a whole show in itself but i want to try and and 
you know, at least hit it before we end the show. Um, for divorced Catholics, you know, are they just banned? You know, what what is the tell, first? Tell us, I guess, kind of your experience and and what your feelings and thoughts are on the matter. Um, and then let's just talk about what what kind of hope there is. Okay, and, and Liza clarified our last question, so so thanks, Liza. Um, okay, so uh, Latrell, go easy on the husband. By the way, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. You know, he might have other really great qualities that um, you can focus on. Just saying. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, Marcus and I were talking about this question before the show, and um, I just wanted to speak on this coming from a family who, like I mentioned earlier, I, my parents were divorced, um, and this is actually very rare, but um, they ended up getting an annulment, and uh, both my parents remarried, um, but um, there is quite a bit of discussion these days in the Catholic Church, um, especially with, uh, it seems like I don't know if more people are getting divorced or just more divorced people are wanting to remarry. In case um, some people might be listening and are not Catholic. Mm -hmm. What, <clears throat> so for one thing, you know, can you explain what, what is an annulment? You know, oh, what does that okay. mean? Okay. Um, an annulment is actually not a, a, a specifically a Catholic term. It's just, um, I guess, become associated with something just specifically Catholic, but what an annulment means you can, you can have an annulment for many different things, but it just means to nullify something. Um, so in the marriage sense, um, to nullify a marriage just means that it was never actually um, a valid Catholic marriage in the first place. And there's kind of a process that goes along with that um, to, um, I guess, what's the, what's the term for it? Just officially declare that it was, um, that it's a null marriage. A null. Um, so um, my parents had to go through a process. They had to answer a, a couple different questions and um, had some witnesses to the questions. It, it can vary from a couple months to, to a couple years. And um, so the, the church teaches that if you are divorced and your marriage is not declared null, or maybe it was never declared valid in the first place, um, you are... Was was this a question about the Eucharist specifically, Marcus? Why did you? Did oh, you uh, yeah, that'll that? that'll be the kind of the follow up, absolutely. But I mean, the first thing I guess is, you know, kind of just talking about <clears throat> how the Catholic Church views divorce, and I think why. <clears throat> Sorry, I came up. I actually <laughs> unmuted it right as I was coming out. <laughs> Never mind. Um, sorry for screaming in your ear. The um. I think a lot of people just, you know, see divorce in the Catholic Church as a, you know, people get shunned, outcast. You know, they're they're not, um, they're no longer welcome. Now, you were talking about a situation where, you know, your your parents were divorced, but then actually had the marriage annulled. Um, which, in the Catholic Church, there's no such thing as divorce, really, right? So there's there's when you when you get married inside the Catholic church, if it's a valid marriage, which it's assumed to be at the beginning, right? Um, Cause if the, if the, the priest, and, and if you don't know this, you actually have to go through um, a series of steps in order to get married in the Catholic church. You don't just show up. You don't just make a date and just show up. Um, you have to meet with people. You have to talk about your intentions, um, what it means. They have to make sure that you understand what a marriage is and so on and so forth. Um, and then you're married inside the Catholic church and it's, it's, uh, assume that the marriage is valid. Mm -hmm. Now, because the Catholic Church doesn't believe that you can 
separate two people who have become one flesh um, in the same way that, you know, if you had two identical candles, this is a very common imagery used to explain this idea. You have two identical candles, you know, the same, they're both white or whatever, and you melt them into each other. You can, you can't separate them <clears throat> into what they were before. They have become something totally new. They've melted and bonded. And just like, you know, in that case, when two people get married, and then when they consummate their marriage, which is in a you know very blunt way to say when they have sex, they literally the two become one flesh, is what the Catholic Church teaches, and that can no longer that can't be separated never. However, an annulment is the process of trying to determine whether or not a, a Catholic marriage, you know, a valid marriage took place uh, at the you know at the time that it uh, was witnessed and and at least assumed it did. And there's a couple of reasons why that could happen, right? If if somebody knows what the, the you know church teaches about valid marriages, you know, so in other words, they they ask you very straight up, you know, do you intend for this to be free, total, faithful, and fruitful? Well, if you're not doing it of your own free will, if the other person is is blackmailing you somehow, right, threatened you or threatened your family, um, then you're not actually entering into a free marriage. You're you're being manipulated. So therefore, that would be a not valid marriage. And so even if it looked like you got married and went through all the steps, well, later on, if that was found out, um, then yes, you could your marriage could be annulled. And they would say, yeah, you definitely a marriage did not take place. If it wasn't, if you didn't intend to be faithful, like, ah, well, we'll just try this out for a year or two and see what happens. Like, I don't really want to make a commitment forever. Well, obviously, that's not marriage. You know, it, it must be um total and, and faithful if you didn't plan to give yourself totally like i still want to see this other person i'm going to get married because that's what she wants to do that's what her parents want us to do but i'm not going to stop seeing this other person obviously you're not giving yourself totally to the other person you know so those are those are some reasons um where an, a marriage may be annulled after an investigation uh inside the church and so that's that's, that's, essentially, that's essentially the process they'll go through kind of every um every possibility that could make it null um, so it takes a long time. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. So the, um, but unless you go through the process, you don't know if you actually had a, a valid marriage or not. And here's the the really you know sucky reality. Well, I say sucky, but this is the 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 reality that's hard to accept is that you might have entered into a valid marriage that ended up crumbling later. And what the church teaches about that is, well, then a valid marriage cannot be um, undone. You know, you cannot be separated. You There's no such thing as divorce. You can get legally divorced, but you can't get divorced. Um, so if your marriage is not annulled and they say, hey, well, I'm, you know, this actually was a valid marriage. It met all the criteria um, and you're, you're denied. You're not like denied the annulment as if like they don't want to give it to you. Um, but if they're telling you that it was a valid marriage, how do you deal with that? And I think that's really one of the, or either how do you deal with that or how do you deal with the people who don't want to go? Cause like you said, it's a long process who don't want, even want to go through the process of trying to get an annulment, you know, or while they're in the process of trying to get an annulment, they're already seeing somebody else or they're already married to somebody else. So here's, here's the, here's the idea, right? Um, well, actually let me, let me pass it to you first. Do you have any, any, um, good thoughts on the Eucharist and why the Catholic church uh, doesn't allow people who are, and to clarify, the Catholic church does allow people who are legally divorced 
and not in another relationship to still come to mass. Well, you you can come to mass period, no matter what, yeah, right? No matter who you are, but still allows you to at mass receive communion. Um, so assuming that like you're like anybody else, you know, you're, you're in a state of grace. You're not in the midst of some grave sin that you haven't confessed. Um, just because you're divorced doesn't mean that you, for one thing that you can't come to mass because anybody can, but secondly, that you can't receive the Eucharist because you can. Um, however, if you are divorced legally and you're in another relationship, you know, where you're sexually active with a person who you're dating, or if you're in a marriage living with somebody and obviously, you know, sexually active with somebody inside a marriage, uh, a legal marriage, then the church then says you cannot receive the Eucharist. So, so you, I have some thoughts, I mean, but I want to give you a chance yeah, first. Sure. So going back to Marcus's candle analogy, I mean, if, if it has not been declared null, then you are so, still um, married to that person. You are still in that one flesh union. Um, now, you may have kind of gone off to the side and tried to find this other candle, but you're already, you, you've already become this one other candle over here. <laughs> so um, um, that, in a sense, is adultery and that's why the church teaches that so um going back to to the first portion of that um where you said um if you're divorced you're still welcome to go to mass and um receive communion i mean divorce in and of itself is not a sin however um if you have entered into another relationship like you said um a sexually active relationship then you are um uh, committing adultery because you are still married. Yeah. Wow. That's, and that is a really, really, I mean, not being the, the object of, of what you're saying, uh, even it's hard for me to, to hear that you, you cringe a little bit just for the, for the people who hear that in a situation um, where that just sounds super harsh. And it is, I mean, it is really harsh. The reality is that this is a very, very tough situation and so before you tune us out, <laughs> if you happen to be in this situation or know somebody in this kind of situation, um, you know, the, a couple of things to think about, you know, the, it's, it's very hard or it's a very harsh, you know, and painful thing to hear that the Catholic Church says that, you know, you might be in an adulterous uh, relationship. But let me, let me, you know, give you some things to think about. Number one, um, all of us recognize that there are certain romantic relationships that are legitimate um, and okay, you know, even by society's secular standards. And there are other ones that are not. We draw the line somewhere, right? You know, some of us uh, might draw the line as far as heterosexual relationships and some of us might not, you know, and go um, past that line. But even people who are willing to um, validate same-sex marriages um, will be willing to draw the line somewhere else, you know, like you can't marry an animal or even, you know, more practically, um, many will say you, you can't, an adult can't marry a little kid or something like that, right? So you can't have a sexual relationship with, with a child uh, because that's, you know, uh, again, it's, a, it's offensive or it's just, it's, uh, you know, something's wrong with that. So we all recognize that there is, you know, a valid uh, type of, of romantic relationship, that there's a valid way to utilize your sexuality, um, even though there may be uh, various opinions of, of how that is, you know, many of us, if not most of us, will draw the line. Well, I would say confidently, 
most people in the world will draw the line somewhere to say that there is such a thing as a not good, you know, sexual relationship or a not legitimate sexual relationship. And so, I mean, at some point, you know, the, the, it's, it may be popular now to say that, you know, an adult man cannot have a, a sexual romantic relationship with a 10 year old boy. Um, in some point in the future, it might be more of the popular opinion that, you know, Hey, that's okay. And so right now, because it's popular, everybody can say that and, and not really feel like they're, they're going to be hit with backlash. Not the same case as far as same sex relationships go. Um, certainly not the same case as far as divorce and remarriage goes, right? And this is where we're at right now. What we're saying um, is something that, you know, we believe to be true, even though it might be very painful to hear. And this is the the, the church's job, right? Is to protect things that are very sacred. Um, whether or it, whether it's easy, you know, to hear or not, right? Even if it's painful, the, the job of the church uh, is to speak the truth. I have... Uh, at work, you know, I uh, am a leader and sometimes I need to say things that people don't want to hear because it's the truth. And, you know, I would do them a disservice. I would damage them by trying to not tell them something because I think it's going to hurt their feelings. Um, in a romantic relationship, in a marriage, you have to be willing to tell the other person the truth. Like, you know, if Diane tells me sometimes when I'm, you know, I'm... um not doing things the right way, or if I need to change my attitude, or she'll tell me like sometimes if I'm just being grumpy and, uh, or if I'm being too hard on the kids, I, you know, I've brought that up in the past. Like she knows, you know, <laughs> um, who I am and she's very comfortable with telling me the truth, even if it's going to be a little bit painful. And sometimes, you know, it, it hurts, but uh, I don't, honestly, most of the time, um, it might hurt a tiny bit. I, I don't get offended. I always want to know the truth. I always want her to tell me, uh, but I've told her sometimes things in the past that have, you know, made her cry or, or hurt her feelings a little bit. Um, but we speak the truth. I mean, the, when we speak the truth to each other, we, we only solidify, we only strengthen our bond. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's the first thing is that, you know, we, as much as it might be painful, that is not how we should, uh, base what we say and how we view things. The question is whether it's true or not, whether it's, it's, you know, right or not. Um, and if it's not, then wouldn't you want to know that, right? Mm -hmm. If you were putting the wrong kind of gasoline into your car, wouldn't you want to know that? If you were drinking small amounts of trace poison in your drink every day, and that's what made you feel sick all the time, wouldn't you want to know that? Or would you want to be left in, you know, your ignorance because you don't want somebody to tell you something that's, that's hurtful or painful. Um, I think this is kind of a similar situation. We are not at all trying to make people feel bad about the situations that they're in, the, the settings they're in. And there's a whole range of different, you know, scenarios and, and circumstances. Um, some people might not really truly be at fault for their, you know, situation and they may not have known. And a lot of those things, come into play when it talks to, uh, when, it, when we're talking about like guilt and culpa culpability. Mm -hmm. So every individual person deserves to be looked at as an, as an individual person. There's every individual, you know, um, situation and circumstances, uh, deserves the dignity of being looked at as not a general case, but an individual case. What I'm saying here 
is that if you find yourself in this kind of situation or setting or somebody else, um, then one of the things that you can rest, you know, a little bit easier in or, or have some hope in is that uh, we're not speaking in uh, generics ab about you. We're, we're not, when we speak generically, we're not speaking about you. We're not targeting you. You know, you can have a very unique situation or you can have a situation um, that doesn't meet a lot of the criteria. And I'm, I'm just being careful to make you understand that, um, you know, you deserve the individual attention. <laughs> um, just like, a, in other words, like a leader, a leader might say something like, you know, hey, it's bad for the team for us to do this or that. Um, and one person might have found themselves doing that and feel really bad and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was messing up this whole time. Um, but they might have been told to do that by somebody else. You know, they might have given, been given bad information that that was a good thing to do and they were doing it in good conscience. And so even though the leader is telling the truth and saying like, hey, this thing that we've been doing is uh, that people have been doing is, is bad. It's, we have to stop that. Um, that, you know, one person could have been doing it, knowing that it was wrong, trying to get ahead, being malicious, trying to get an advantage over other people. Another person might have been doing it in good conscience. And, you know, so they have very different situations. They should be judged individually. The leader should not come down and swoop and, you know, punish everybody exactly the same um, because they all have different circumstances of why they were doing what they're doing uh, and what they knew about what they were doing. So, um, anyway, that's that's a kind of a long disclaimer to say. I hope it, you know any time that you may be in a situation that is not good, uh, God is still good and God is still very powerful. And um, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. God allows things to happen for a reason. And so, to our divorced brothers and sisters, you know, especially those ones who are in marriages, uh, don't take you're not being, you know, able to take communion as a, you're not welcome in the church and the Catholic church doesn't want you. Um, that is a ritual in which, um, you know, you can't, you're not taking part of, or you're not allowed to take part in um, primarily to protect you from, you know, uh, getting into even worse of a situation, right? So uh, we talked about this last time and, and I think, uh, this, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dive too deep into this because, well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, we've already been on for an hour, so I don't know if people are, are getting tired of us or not. I don't know if you're getting tired of me. Your fans are, are, uh, are a little, uh, a little absent, a little quiet here. Uh, what was her name? Brittany? No. Yeah. Brittany. Um, honestly, Sarah. Is what? Is Barrett bedtime for Brittany? Okay. She, she's a mom. So I think it's, I think it's bedtime for well, I know how that feels because I'm also, I feel like it's bedtime for me because <laughs> I'm a dad. But um, anyway, so what I'm trying to, to say here is that uh, you should have hope because, you know, if if there's one thing that I can, you know, um, hang my hat on when speaking like this and telling you to have hope, uh, it's that. I have been in some really bad situations in my life. Um, some of them were my own doing. Some of them were, you know, not necessarily like completely my own fault or by my own actions. Some of them were the circumstances and the settings that I was in, but it didn't change the fact that they weren't good. You know, um, just because 
I didn't make the decision that landed me in a really bad spot doesn't mean that I wasn't in a really bad spot. But, you know, 10 years or 11 years later or whatever it's been since I initially kind of had that radical conversion, you know, my ministry has been about sharing my wounds with other people. It's been about talking about the fact, you know, that uh, how God has taken me, you know, from some very dark places and, and you know, really turned my life around. Some some very miraculous things have happened over my lifetime. And now I have four kids and we have this ministry and, and you know, um, God continues to, to bless us. And so <clears throat> that's a that's a silly question, Brittany. <laughs> they're always, yeah, they're always saying nice things about you. And I, oh, I'm jealous you have good friends. Hmm? There's a baby in the picture. Oh, oh, hey, congratulations. If you have a new baby, that's fantastic. And yes, you do need sleep then if you have a tiny baby. I didn't know that. Um, but anyway, so you, you get what I'm saying, Alicia, I guess um, the fact is that we we won't dilute truth to say that no, it's okay. You know, that's, um, this is, you know, even though the Catholic Church says that, you know, you can ignore it and just feel good about yourself. Um, yes, you might be in a bad situation. Um, you might be in a situation that kind of precludes you from being totally um, able to to participate in the sacraments of the Catholic Church. That doesn't mean that you don't have a faith that you can pursue where God can do some really wonderful and amazing things, some very, uh, you know, seemingly impossible things. So I guess ultimately don't lose heart and don't lose hope that, you know, if there is a God, and I fully believe that there is, but if there is a God, then nothing is impossible for that God. Um, so don't allow obstacles, even as as big and as painful as they might be, to keep you and prevent you from what um, Liza was talking about earlier, you know, with um, her friend, fully searching out the truth. You know, if you believe the Catholic Church is wrong on this, then prove the Catholic Church wrong, you know, if you can. Go in and find the, the data, that, you know, research it. You know, go and look at other churches and see what they teach and see if it measures up. You know, are they just, um, are they just, you know, trying to make people feel good because of because it's a difficult thing? Um, or are they truly actually teaching? Or are they truly getting this from, you know, the Word of God, from Scripture? What does Scripture say about it? Why does Scripture say this? What are some, and here's another great thing that can help you. And I don't know if you know of any, Alicia, but... Um, find other people who have gone through the same thing. This is part of what ministry is all about, right? Finding people who have gone through same kind of the same kind of uh, situations, who have been divorced, who've gone through annulments, who've been divorced, not granted an annulment. Um, you know, what do they do? And like, find some really faithful people who have conversion stories or, or victory stories, and you find hope in those. You know, um, and ultimately, don't cease you know, your prayer and coming to church, because if anything, you need to be in church more, uh, you know, and um, be, you know, find your way to get closer and closer to God if you feel like um, you're being pulled away. So that that's to the people who are, are struggling in this area. To the people who are Catholics, I would say you need to extend yourself and you need to, you know, um, don't put the barrier of the label of, of somebody's divorced or, you know, somebody's um, gay or, or anything like that. Um, don't let that prevent you from developing a relationship with them, you know, making them feel at home in the Catholic church. Cause everybody has, you know, issues. Everybody has things that they struggle with. Everybody has a past. Everybody has things that they need to overcome. And if we 
you know, look at everybody as, well, you haven't overcome something yet. Um, you know, I can't, I can't fully truly be your family member. I can't really hang out with you and be seen with you or talk to you at church or sit next to you or so on and so forth. Um, then, then obviously those people do a lot, a lot of damage. Um, you know, so speak the truth, hurt some feelings. If it's absolutely necessary, if somebody wants to know the truth, speak the truth, no matter what it, what the the consequences are, but love as well. Right. I, you know what? I, here's a question for you. How have you ever had any kind of situation being a, a child of a divorced um, of divorced parents? Have you ever felt outcasted or, or like you um, were looked at differently in the community? Um, I can't turn this thing off. I kept muting, unmuting myself. I don't. Um, I guess you were really young, you know. So maybe. Yeah, I was um, I was four when my parents separated, um, and then I was, I think I was seven or eight when my dad remarried, nine when my mom remarried. Um, is your, does your uh, mom, is she mom like still a devout practicing Catholic? My mom and my stepdad are still married. Um, and they, yeah, they've been married ever since, and they're both um, faithful Catholics. My stepdad had never been married before, um, so he didn't have to go through any kind of do you know if your if your mom ever did like, especially when she was kind of in the midst of that? I, I mean, you don't have to share anything that you know no, might I, be I'm too. I'm trying to think, but yeah, I was just I was just young, so it's hard to remember. I do remember that she prayed a lot, and I think that that was probably her. Really, when she came to her faith, um, even more. I know she she grew up Catholic and going to mass, but I don't honestly know how often. Um, and I think it's very impressive these days. Um, sad to say this. Catholic or non-Catholic, um, not many people go to church every single Sunday. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a fact. It's a statistic that, um, I mean, through any kind of hardship that you go through, including divorce, um, those families tend to not go to mass as much. And I'm obviously the exception to that. That doesn't necessarily mean that when you get divorced, you stop going to mass because we went to mass every single Sunday. So I'm, I'm kind of an exception to the rule. Um, and because my parents both remarried, when I was so young, um, there was a time where I remember um, being children of, because I'm a twin also, so I was, um, we were children of a, of a single mother and a single dad, um, so I went through that as well, but I was too young to probably know um, if, what hardships they may have gone through. Um, but, I, I mean, at the very least, uh, one thing that I will, you know, I can uh, at least infer pretty confidently is by your own admission, um, you yourself had pain mm -hmm. because of that experience. Um, and that's something that I think for, for people who are, are on the outside, you know, um, something that they really need to consider is, is the tremendous amount of pain that people experience in those kind of situations and how much parents more love they need. Yeah. What? The parents and children. Well, exactly. Right. Well, ex um, Right. So all, all parties involved there, but the, but the point is that, um, you know, again, if you, if you know people who are getting divorced, getting divorced, um, or who are recently divorced or something along those lines, uh, even if you meet them and then find out that they were divorced and they were divorced some time ago or something, um, it, it, you know, when I said earlier, like speak the truth, I don't mean like, you know, go in and clobber people over the head with it to make them feel bad about, you know, whatever, but 
um, you know, consider the fact that there's a great, tremendous amount of pain that people have in their hearts because of that. Uh, and they need to be loved, you know, mm-hmm. strongly sometimes, but gently many other times. Um, and that's, that's, that is what church and the community of the church is for, you know, to, um, to corral and help each other during times of difficulty. And if we're only concerned about the, you know, um, like, uh, logistics, you know, if we're only concerned about, oh, I saw that that person's divorced and I know I saw them go up and get the Eucharist, you know, like, ah, I'm not going to talk to them because they're not being a good Catholic. Like that is that's such a mistake that has grave consequences, you know, like um, their faith is not yours, you know, mm-hmm. now if they ask you or if you get into a conversation and it's the topic mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, you have an opportunity to, to share some truth or if they ask you and they say like, Hey, you know, am I, I'm divorced and I'm married with this person. Can I receive the you know Eucharist? Well, you don't have to sidestep it. You can be honest and you can tell the truth, mm-hmm. but let their faith you know, be their faith and you be the support. <laughs> you be part of the community, right? Um, not just for the sake of the people who are getting divorced or who are divorced, but for their kids, you know, for the people who had nothing to do with it and who have all of the pain and none of the responsibility, right? right. Um, what? You got the fly flying around your I top of your head? Neighbor, my neighbors are sumo wrestling or something. Sumo, sumo wrestling. Uh, oh above you oh i see okay um so this is something that uh i i kind of totally overstepped and didn't really realize um we brought it up mm-hmm. that you know people who are divorced um not in a relationship uh in good standing can receive the eucharist but those who are divorced um and in an another relationship while they are still married to somebody else by the, you know, Catholic church's uh, stance cannot receive the Eucharist. Why is that? Oh, that's a question. We did, we did, we did talk about that. Um, We said that they can't, but we, did we, because the candle, well, we use the candle analogy again. We went back to that. Yeah. But so why can't you receive the Eucharist? And that's why you're, so that was the answer to why they can't um, actually be undivorced, right? Separated because mm-hmm. in a valid marriage, mm-hmm. they're in a valid marriage. Um, because, um, so, okay. So, so yes, so you're married and you're, you're, you know, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the church, you're married. And so if you're in this other relationship or marriage, um, then you're essentially committing adultery, which is a case for, you know, you, you're not in a state of grace. And it's just one of the cases where um, you can be, in a state of um, mortal sin, which there are mortal sins and venial sins. Um, so if you are not in a state of grace, it's it's just one of the scenarios where um, you should not go up to receive communion because, um, gosh, the, the scripture escapes me right now, but essentially what the church teaches is um, that you... Um, you're referring to St. Paul who says that you, you cause graver... Um, destruction mm-hmm. to yourself essentially uh, when you yeah so when you <clears throat> when you receive the body un- unworthily um, not in a state of grace you you do even more damage to your your own soul because um, well and so first I want to uh, Latrell had a great comment that I want to show everybody which says 
Um, to my point earlier, most of the time we don't know as much as we might think we do, and we should be quicker to assume the best of people. That's actually a great, great yeah. advice, you know, that all of us should strive to uh, try to assume the best of people, right? Assume that they have good intentions, assume that they know and that they're trying hard or that they, that something, there's something you don't know mm-hmm. and they're actually, you know, okay, or what have you, right? Like try to assume the best and allow them the opportunity to, um, to give you the worst if that's what they <laughs> desire to give you. Um, but don't take it from them if they're, that's, that's not what they're trying to give. So thank you, Latrell, for that because um, <clears throat> it's good advice. So here's here's why I think um, <clears throat> or here's how I think people can help themselves to understand this idea of why Catholics or the Catholic Church teaches that <clears throat> you cannot, should not, um, technically, law, like logistically, you can. You can walk up there and receive the Eucharist, but you shouldn't receive the Eucharist uh, if you're in... <clears throat> If you're in any kind of um, any kind of relationship that's not actually you know a valid relationship, uh, somebody who's never been married, and and this is actually this is something that this is a harsh and very hard reality that I, nobody ever really concentrates on. And when when we talk about it's when we talk about people who are divorced and remarried, um, it's just, it's a very easily visible thing that we can judge people by. Uh, but everybody who's in sexual relationships that where they're not married, you know, like having one night stands, you're dating a boy or a girl, um, in high school or college or, or even as a professional adult, um, and you're having sex with somebody who's not your, uh, marital partner, you're not married to them. You're in the same place, right? Like you're, you're, so, you're too uh, the Catholic church is consistent. Yeah. yeah. The Catholic church is consistent in this. And we don't, we don't just focus on divorced people. And I think that sometimes, the focus becomes on divorced people because <clears throat> we can more easily assume that they're not in a, in in right standing with the Catholic Church, um, and we we don't know what somebody's doing behind closed doors uh, when they're not married. So therefore, we just assume that everybody goes up there um, is in a state of grace, and we don't really question that, right? Um, and so that's that's something that again more that's more of actually ad- advice to Catholics who are worried about other people who are divorced and going up and receiving, like not just mind your own business, but recognize that, you know, why is it this one area that you like watch people like, you know, Hawks, like trying to see if they're, you know, messing up their soul even more. And you don't assume the same thing of everybody else that's going up there. Um, Even though there may be many people in the same kind of situation, but the point is that the Catholic church is consistent on this. If you're not in a valid sexual relationship, then you're not, um, you're not imaging God, right? You're not you're not participating in the image and the design um, that uh, God created for the sake of being a witness to the rest of the world. Here's the key: what the Catholic Church is saying is, when you receive the Eucharist, we talked about this in a prior show, right? When you receive the Eucharist, you are uh, entering into a marital union with God. And you are becoming one flesh with God, you know, very much like when you make vows at the altar inside a church with somebody else, you know, um, that you're engaged to. When you when you make those vows to a person, you're telling them, I am totally yours. I will be faithful. I come here of my own free admission. You know, this is a free choice I make. And I and I, you know. Um, desire to be fruitful, like, you know, I, I want to 
I want to bring new life into the world with you. Um, or at least I'm, I'm open to that. I'm open to whatever this relationship brings, whatever responsibilities it brings, whatever great things it brings, but also the, the hard things that it brings. Right. Um, uh, you know, the, um, in sickness and in health in good times and in bad, when you go to the altar and you profess that to another person, then that, you know, evening, uh, during your honeymoon stage, uh, the Catholic church teaches that you then consummate a marriage right? Which means you solidify the marriage. You, you actually, um, the, the marriage, people don't know this, that when you, when you get married at the altar, when the marriage is witnessed and you profess your vows, you become married, but that marriage can be dissolved. That's actually not a marriage where, you know, the two candles have now been melted into each other. Mm-hmm. Up to that point, there's still two separate candles. They can be dissolved. That marriage can be dissolved. When the two have sex, when they, when they, you know, intimately, totally, when they, when they, in other words, when they put their vows into a, you know, physical expression and they literally totally give each other to each other, that's when the candles become melted together and when the two become one flesh. And when two become one flesh, they are no longer two flesh, they are one flesh and they cannot be separated, right? Um, the the reason that you know the catholic church teaches and a lot of people are aware of this like you know that you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage um whether before marriage or when you're married to somebody else outside of your marriage or what have you right um outside of marriage uh sex is is not not only not valid but it's in, extremely destructive the reason the church teaches that is not because it's like well you have to wait and it's not good you're not supposed to have fun you're not supposed to be like experiencing experiencing exciting things unless it's in a very dull, rigid, you know, kind of by the rules sort of thing. The reason the Catholic church teaches that is because you didn't make the vows to that person. You're not, when you express sexual intimacy to another person, what you're telling them is I'm yours. I'm all yours. You know, like I'm so totally yours. You're you're the only one for me. And you know, I, I want to give everything to you and I want to take everything that that means. You know, if we get a baby out of this, Hey, I'm here. Like I'm, me and you, the rest of our lives, I, we'll, t- we'll take care of that baby and we'll raise that. I'll, I'll love that baby. We'll be a family. When you have sex with somebody, that's what you're saying. And the problem is that when, when people are having sex and they don't want to say that, then what they're doing is they're, they're actually forming a lie with their bodies. They're saying it with their bodies, but they're not saying it with their, with their mouths, right? With their vow. And this is why, tragically, when people have sex and then they get pregnant and they don't want the baby and they... <clears throat> you know, either um, through abortion or if the, the baby's born, they neglect the baby. Um, the dad's not around or the mom doesn't want the baby. And, um, you know, the the child, through no fault of their own, experiences terrible, terrible circumstances and terrible pain, all because two people wanted to express with their bodies what they were not willing to express with their mouths. And the implications of that are enormous. You know, again, worst case, um, a child is born um, that either um, dies or ends up becoming, you know, unloved. Those are, that's what's at stake here. And what the Catholic church is saying is that's no, right? Like this is a form of love where we're supposed to witness, you know, to each other um, and to the rest of the world, what real love is, what authentic love is, you know? Um, And the physical expression of that sex is the ultimate expression of that. And inside a family, you know, a family who loves each other 
can witness to the world who God is, you know, unlike almost anything else out there. And that's how important it is. So when somebody who's divorced, right, um, who's inside a um, another marriage or another relationship where they're physically intimate and they're having sex with somebody, um, what they're doing is they're coming to the altar and what they're saying is, um, you know, with their vow, I totally accept all the church's teachings. Um, I'm, <clears throat> you know, I give myself freely and totally to, to the church, to God in this way. I want, Lord, my body and my everything, my whole soul to be yours. And I want to take you to me. And I want to, I want to totally and intimately be joined to you. I want to be yours forever. Um, and I, anything that means anything you ask of me, anything you want, like you want me to become a priest. You want me to, you know, get married. You want me to have a kid. You like anything, Lord, you tell me you're the author of life. You have the authority. And I recognize that I am nothing without you. So I want you to have control. I give you everything. I give you all of me and I take everything that that means. Well, if you don't actually mean that, if you can't truly say that, then what you're doing is you're actually performing a lie. You want the good thing that comes from, you know, communion. You want the benefits of having that total, complete, intimate union with Christ, but you don't want to take on what that means, right? If you are in a, in a, in a situation that's, not good. If you're in a situation that uh, the church teaches is destructive, if you're in a situation that the church teaches um, witnesses a false truth to the world, right? Um, that that dilutes the sacredness of marriage. That essentially says, yeah, people say that marriage is forever, but you know that's not really totally true, right? Yeah, you can you can profess to be totally faithful for the rest of your life to somebody, but that can be broken, right? It can be broken if you if that's what you're professing to the world and what you're willing to say, um, then what the church teaches is no. Then you cannot you're not taking on fully what what God is is telling you. Um, you know, uh, you might say, well, it's too hard. You know, it's too painful. Like, yeah, I get that, and I I totally am sympathetic to that fact. It may be very hard. It may be very painful to do what God is asking you to do. But I promise you, have hope because anything God asks of you, he will always, you know, uh, repay you in rewards 10 times over. Anything that any sacrifice you give him um, will turn into, um, you know, life giving water that won't just sustain you and give you new life, but everyone else around you. Um, that's what's at stake here. What the church is saying is not, you are not welcome and we don't want you. What the church is saying is, we cannot let you profess with your mouth to come up and say, amen. You know, um, if you are not willing to actually do that, because that's destructive, because what it essentially is doing is saying, you don't need to change anything. Stay, that's fine. No big deal. Everything we tell you that is true, um, that is important, that is, you know, um, life-changing, that is, uh, really has the, the weight of the world, right? Marriage is sacred. Um, there is a God, life means something. All those things we tell you, sure, they're not that big a deal. You can get, we can do away with them. You know, that's fine. No big deal. If the church was willing to essentially say that and say, I know that's what we teach, but we're going to let it slide for you. Well, then the church is not doing its job. It is not protecting truth and not telling you that the only way you will receive 
the desires of your heart. The only way that you will truly experience mercy and love that flows through you and emboldens you and makes you, you know, want to do truly amazing things. The only way that you can truly be the witness to the world that you were called to be is to totally take on everything that Jesus tells you, you know, is truth. Um, you know, then uh, if the church isn't willing to protect that at all costs, well, um, unfortunately, the church doesn't really love you. A good parent will tell you, I love you, but you're wrong. I love you, but I still have to discipline you. I'm going to give you a spanking, but that doesn't change the fact that I love you. It means that I want to teach you. And I hope that you learn it because ultimately I do want to see you happy. So there's, um, if, if you're familiar with Jason Everett, um, I know you are, but to our listeners, um, he gives this great analogy of finding his son who stole a carton of ice cream and he's kind of running around giggling to himself, this little boy, because he's excited that he got some ice cream and, and Jason's trying to chase his son around the house. And he finally gets the ice cream from him. And he's like, Dad, why'd you take that from me? I, I hate you. You're so mean. And he says, son, you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it might it might seem like it's it's hurtful Good. to you. But um, I just thought that was a, a great analogy. Of sometimes we don't always understand. Um, but the church is a good parent. So I like that you said that. That's a great point. It's an, it's an act of love to um, discipline and tell the truth. Uh, even when it's difficult, you know, all parents struggle to do that to their kids. Um, you know, you see your kids with a sad face, you know, crying. And, you know, when you take away the video game uh, because they messed up, you know, all you want to do is give them back the video game. The problem is that if you do that, you're ruining them. You're showing them that simply feeling bad will get them what they want um, and, and, you're training them to not be able to, uh, you know, like work harder to do the right thing. You know, if doing, if not doing the right thing means that you can still have, you know, the rewards and all that stuff, uh, then you would, you wouldn't need to do the right thing, right? They would steal all your motivation to, um, to work hard, to, to do right. Um, any good parent knows that the hardest thing and the best thing that you can do for your kid is to, uh, teach them even when it's difficult. So, well, um, Alicia, there's one last thing I wanted to throw your way. Um, and then we'll, we'll get off the air. So Adriana said, um, she has a friend who's always worried about timing and her plans. Uh, she has a hard time accepting the fact that it's in God's plans and timing. Uh, what advice do you have for her? I thought this would be something that you, uh, would have some great insight into. So, <laughs> um, about timing and her plans, um, I, 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 that can mean a couple of different things. Um, I assume because whenever somebody asks a question like that, I always assume that it has to do with a relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, why don't I have a boyfriend or girlfriend? And I want to have kids by this age and blah, blah. Most um, people exactly. That's yeah, what they, yeah. I, I don't know that that's the case, but I figured yeah. that might well, be a good well, whatever whatever the reason may be, um, I I think that we've all struggled with that at least a little bit at some point in our lives. Um, um, I'm trying to think of an example that I have. Um, um, I guess my 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 question really would be um, what her prayer life is like. Um, that comes with really just having a trust in God. 
So um, something that she needs to work on is just trusting. And it, it's even hard for me to give this advice because I've been there so many times too. I'm like, well, what if this and what if that? And um, you know, what if I'm not going doing, I bet she's asked this to you, Adriana, too. What if I'm not doing what God really wants me to be doing? I have a friend that used to ask me that all the time. Um, if you're doing something with prayer and you're faithful, then, then God's going to guide you. Um, for example, if you're just kind of going around stealing things from everywhere and, um, you know, stealing people's boyfriends away or, you know, why, why isn't God giving me what I want? Like, I mean, obviously live, live a faithful life and, um, live the life that, um, God has taught us to live, be, be involved with the church. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. I would say live a prayerful life and, and faithful and, um, faithful life. And just, I'm going to take a different avenue, yeah. not disagreeing with you. I'm just going to add a, a, a different angle, um, that I think, mm-hmm. yeah, you she, know, most people, <clears throat> Oh, she says everyone around her having families and is that okay? So I, I was right. See, I knew it. Yeah. Um, that's just that's just the natural kind of thing where um, most other things, it's you know, God's timing isn't really like a an issue. It's just when um, it has to deal with like the deepest, most intimate thing that you know we desire. I think um, family, you know, to to have experience that kind of love that we see um, other people have around us. So. <clears throat> I'm going to take a different angle. I'm not going to disagree with uh, Alicia, but I'm going to say something that I think uh, focus on when they struggle in this area or any area when it's, uh, when it has to do with God's timing or not having some kind of reward or what have you. Uh, I tell my kids that when they do good things, I reward them, right? When they do, when they listen to me and they do good things, it makes me happy. And when I'm, when that happens, I want to make them happy and I reward them. But I also tell them that if they do things, even if they do the good things or the right things, if they do things so that they can have the reward, only so that they can have the reward, then I don't give them the reward. And the reason is because I don't want them simply working for the reward, right? I want them to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I want them to do the right thing because I told them they're listening. They're trying to you know, be obedient because they love me. Um, you know, so then when they do that, I, I do like to reward them, but I hold out rewards when I know that that's, you know, the only thing that's on their mind because I don't want to train them to just say like, okay, I'm going to do the right thing so that I can get this because a reward um, is not a guarantee. And, um, you know, the reason is because again, it's not, God doesn't want you to do things so that he can give you good things. God wants to give you good things. Um, the reason you need to do the things that you're supposed to do is because you're supposed to, because you're supposed to be obedient as a child. You do what you're supposed to do um, because you're given the instructions for your own good, right? Mm-hmm. My kids are supposed to uh, wipe their butts when they go to the bathroom, not because they're supposed to listen to me because I'm going to give them a reward because it's a health thing, right? I gave them that instruction to take care of them, to help them. They're not supposed to eat uh, you know, things from under the sink, not because when, when they say, Hey, I didn't eat anything from the sink today, you know, I'm going to give them a reward because that's how I protect them. When I tell them don't eat, you know, the, and this is a, some, a lot of parents for whatever reason, apparently didn't tell their kids of 
uh, teenagers that eating the dishwasher soap is not good. Um, I tell my kids not to, <laughs> all right? So, oh, but anyway, um, I'm not telling them because I want to see if they're going to listen and be obedient. And then, you know, I can reward them. I'm telling them for their own good. Now, when they listen to me, when I notice that they're trying to work very hard to be obedient, um, that makes me very happy. And I want to make them happy. I want to reward them. I want to encourage good behavior. Um, but I don't want it to be a one-to-one relationship. And this is something that I think people need to understand in their faith. Mm-hmm. Other people are not a reward for you, right? Uh, you are not uh, to do good things because you want a bride, you want a wife, or because you want a husband. You are not, that is not you know, how it works. God doesn't say, hey, good job. You did say 500 prayers this month. Uh, you almost... You know, if you had done 499, well, no spouse for you. But, it, you know, since you hit the <laughs> since you hit the uh, the goal there, 500 prayers this month, I'm going to I'm going to give you that guy, you know, like sweet. Hey, you over there, get over there. You're you're her reward. You know, yeah, so I know I had... you, you notice that you notice that I said um, if you're faithful and, and prayerful, God will lead you where you're supposed to be. That doesn't necessarily right. mean you're going to get what you have in mind. That's, that's not what that means. Right, exactly. Because when your prayer is honest, when you're faithful to God, uh, faithful means that you're committed no matter what the circumstances might be, right? If you're led somewhere different, then faithful means that you trust and you say, okay, well, I don't know why I'm going this way, but, you know, okay, God, I, I trust you. I'm going to remain committed and faithful, even if it's not working the way that I wanted it to or the way I thought I was going to or whatever. So you're right. Um, but I think most people would think that, you know, if I'm going, I'm going to church mm-hmm. and praying, I'm being faithful. I'm not no, A, B, and C. Right. No, you're being faithful when you're willing to embrace whatever God wants to give you because he He knows what will make you happy, right? He know, He's the source of happiness. Um, so if you trust that he wants and he desires the good for you, well, then you're going to have no problem finding it because he will lead you right to it. I would um, say but, in, short, in short, Adriana, tell her you should tell your friend that um, – and this goes out to anybody who may be thinking the same thing. Let your plan be God's plan. Don't let God's plan be your plan. That's right. So let God be the author. Um, and, you know, you submit yourself to his authorship. He'll write you a beautiful story. Um, the problem is, I think, again, uh, that if we if we look at it as, um, you know, God, why didn't you give me this? I have been doing X, Y, and Z. Um, then you're always going to be disappointed because God will continue to hold out, you know, good things um, as long as, you know, your requirements are, you know, well, I did what I was supposed to do. Why didn't I receive the good things? As soon as your heart becomes committed and faithful to say, Lord, whatever you want to give me, you know, um, if you called me to the priesthood or if you call me to the religious life, if you're calling me to be a nun, I will accept that. Yes, I have this desire, this deep desire to be a, be a parent. I want to be married. I want to have kids. But if you're calling me to something else, if you're calling me to be single and to witness and you know to be a minister, um, if you're calling me to, to be religious, I just want to be. I just want to be wherever you want me to be. You know, as soon as your heart goes there, um, then that's when God will start to, you know, open up the doors for you, lead you in maybe areas that you didn't think you wanted to go like you didn't expect that that's where you wanted to go. And then you might find very surprisingly that um, 
you are, you know, uh, your, your idea of happiness was so different than what actually makes you happy. Um, and you will be right exactly where you want to be. Um, so that's it. Uh, Mario Miller said, first time watching this channel, looking forward to more live videos. Aggie Catholic all the way here from college station. I don't know. Do you know this guy? No, wait, can you put up his comment? Okay. Mario. I do not know him. Hey, okay, Mario. Sweet. I don't know if I told you I'm also an Aggie Catholic, so. Uh-huh, oh, yeah. Right, cool. Funny, right? Um, I was like, man, another one of Alicia's uh, <laughs> fans here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, cool, Mario. Well, welcome, man. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, somehow found the show, and um, we'll be looking forward to your participation next uh, week. So, uh, this was a super long show. This was really um, long. It's not usually this long for our first-time listeners. Yes, yeah. We usually only do an hour, um, but there was a lot of really good things that I think just uh, needed to be said, needed to be addressed. You know, um, and so, but for all those who are listening for the first time, uh, this is something that we do at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Central time every Monday, and it's usually from 7 to 8 Central. Uh, so we're usually not on this late. Um, and I can guarantee you we will not be doing two hour podcasts in the future. Um, cause I'm, I'm wasted. I'm exhausted and I got lots to do. Um, plus I like to go and say goodnight to the kids and usually I'm ending the show right as they're going to bed. And, um, anyway, so, but Adriana Latrell, uh, thank you guys for your participation. Latrell, go a little easier on your husband. Um, <laughs> tell him you're welcome on, on my behalf. Um, and everybody else, yeah, tell your friend, tell your friend what we said. Yeah. And let them watch the show. Um, send it to them. Uh, but anyway, we'll see you guys next week, next Monday. Um, if you want to look at or hear previous, previous shows, you can go to thirstingfortruth.com. The podcast is on iTunes as well. And also on the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash thirsting for truth. Uh, Marcus Guevara and Alicia Franco signing out. Thanks guys. Bye.